welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Well, hello, hello. Uh, John Dudley back here for another knock on podcast and it's been a busy busy three weeks for me to be honest with you Um, just to give you a little recap we've had a little separation in podcast time which is kind of the norm so sorry about that but that's just how it is Um, I was actually intending to do a podcast um, while I was traveling through Europe but my microphone somehow got left here in the office so i was either gonna have to do it through my phone or not and i elected to not so um i guess just to give you a recap on what's been going on i traveled to europe um did some visiting there um had to do some some business with world archery gonna been helping them a little bit with um, some of the development of the world archery excellence center in the olympic capital uh, Lausanne, where the well, where the Olympic headquarters is, and the Olympic Museum, and now soon to be the World Archery Excellence Center, which will be one of the most prestigious archery centers in the world. And um, I'm definitely going to have a part to play there, which is going to be exciting. And there'll be more on that to come for any of you who are interested. But Um, I also went ahead and uh, worked with another team that I've worked with in the past, the Swiss team, and also the Swiss uh, Paralympic archers. We had an awesome training camp there. Um, We were at one of the main national training facilities for Switzerland, and it was awesome. We did a lot of shooting. I was happy to finally get back behind my bow and do some shooting. Um, I was originally told we were going to work on trying to you know perfect our indoor setups but once we got there uh, all the students really wanted to focus on their outdoor gear uh, which worked out really good because we were able to shoot you could have shot up to 70 meters on this indoor facility at the training center so it was really awesome we ended up doing a lot of uh, work did a lot of match play as well Um, tried to incorporate a lot of different training techniques also tried to work on them a little bit with some different uh, mental things Uh, during the match play. You know, a lot of times as a coach, you have to understand the personalities of the different students that you have and then, you know, try to play on those weak points and make them a strong point. So I was able to do that and they shot really well. And then I'm happy to say um, that we ended up getting uh, a gold and three bronze medals uh, from the individuals this past weekend at a big tournament. So I'm super happy for any of you students out there listening. Uh, high five from the coach. So congratulations on that. And then from there, I was home for a day and flew out to Salt Lake City, uh, did some work with Easton, and then also did some work with Hoyt, uh, toured the Hoyt, Hoyt factory um, a little bit had some company come out there. Um, there was the Western Hunting Expo that was going on, which 
was my first time out there, and let me tell you, this was just an unbelievable expo. Uh, super awesome. I can't say enough about the organization of that whole event, and I think if you're any hunter, you should try to go out there one time and enjoy that. Salt Lake's such an awesome city, and um, there's such a huge core of passionate, passionate bow hunters out west, and you know, there's been times where um, people have mentioned to me about talking out there, and I've kind of hesitated simply because, um, you know, that whole Western crowd, it's just such a different family almost to the hunting community, and I have such a respect for them. Um, they're, just, they're just really hardcore in what they do, and they're super passionate about, um, you know, backpack, backcountry-style hunting, spending time on the mountain, and um i really enjoy that type of hunting and i feel like uh you know obviously every september i'm always uh, out west or in the northwest during the months of end of from the end of august to the end of september i'm definitely out that way i, I really don't whitetail hunt at all until the first week of october when i come back to the midwest uh but you know i just feel like those guys are really eyeball deep in it year round it's kind of their niche and and it was cool to be part of it so that was really really awesome and um you know one thing that i haven't really uh talked too much about publicly um over the last year or two um is just you know sometimes there's people in the industry that are that are hunters um at times that like to keep their privacy about hunting for political reasons. And I certainly understand that. Um, but a real close friend, uh, and someone who I think is going to really surprise the industry about just how passionate he is about bow hunting is, um, Don Trump Jr. And Don was actually the keynote speaker out West, uh, for the, for the expo. And I think he did an awesome, awesome job, um, I think he made believers out a lot of really passionate Western hunters about how much he's actually been involved with the outdoors. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty cool for, I guess for him, and I'll talk about this more in detail on a future podcast. I know there's some of you out there who, uh, don't like to hear politics on certain things and I can, I can appreciate that, but in the same sense, uh, there's certain portions of my social media that are mine and I'll give you my opinion. So, you know, that's the cool thing about, uh, life and being an American is you have the right to choose. So if you like it, you can listen to it. If you don't know, if you like it, then you can choose whether you want to listen anymore. And if you don't like it, you can turn it off. So, um, but he's, he did a really good job, and actually, I think for the first time, he's just so enthusiastic right now because he's able to actually come out mainstream and be able to be vocal about how much he supports and how much he actually does in the outdoors, and this is something that I know, and uh, we were able to go to Hoyt and shoot a little bit with the guys from Hoyt, and uh, you know, it was it was an awesome time, so... That's pretty much what I done. I came back and um, you know got right back after it. I've got three weeks of emails, video requests, and a whole pile of other work that I've got to do on my daily tasks. But um, I've got you know about an hour here where I'm waiting to take my boy 
to a tutor to work on his ACTs. So in the meantime, uh, I went ahead and decided to put out a request out there from all of you on what you wanted to talk about in regards to some podcast topics. And there's a ton of really good ones right now. So I kind of have to make the choice right now on whether I am going to really pick some of these and be super, super thorough or if I am going to just try to fly through them. So I'm going to flip this arrow right here. I've got an arrow. If it lands cock vein up, we're going to do less but be more. If it lands any other way, we're going to go quick. So, well, it's sideways. So we're going to fly through them. Um, and if there's any good ones that I feel like maybe we could go more in depth with, we'll try to do that on a future podcast. So I'm just going to run right down the line here first from my Instagram guys um, and gals. So uh, first one here is from David Dingle asking, how do you personally set your sight for second and third axis? Thanks, David from Iowa. Uh, so here's what I did already, David. I saw this question. And I've already went ahead and got uh, my right-hand man, Antoine, on getting a video published on the Knock on Archer YouTube site right now on how to level your site. Um, I've got one that I had done, so I'm going to go ahead and cut that and put it on there. So go to the Knock on Archery YouTube site, and you will get to see the newest video, which will be how to set your second and third axis on your site. Um, it is in relation to a hunting setup, but obviously all the same rules apply as it falls into target archery. So uh, next question here is going to be for RJ Clockmaker. Um, hey, I wanted to say I appreciate how much uh, support you give me, man. I see you a lot on social and certainly appreciate it. Um, so thank you, Ryan. Um, so let's see, you talked about, or he says, in one of your podcasts, you mentioned that you really improve how steady you could hold or float when you started shooting on steep angles for field shoots. Can you expand? And how long before you actually saw that improvement? So this is actually something that I worked on with my students last week or two weeks ago, because one thing that I noticed from people, and this is fairly common, they always put their targets at the exact same height when they're practicing. And this is something that you do not want to do. One thing that you can really or that you should incorporate into your everyday practice, it's no different than going into the gym. You know, if you go into the gym and you're bench pressing and every single time you go to bench press, you grip at the same width on the bar and you use the same exact bench, bench angle, you just you literally start to build muscle memory and you build complacement at that exact position but the way muscles work is when they're elongated or contracted slightly different they'll start to fatigue at a slightly different rate as well so that's why it's important to be able to have diversity and one thing that field shooting taught me was if you start shooting on those steep angles you just start to build these small little stabilizer muscles that you would have really never thought about and i've even known people at vegas um, or in indoor nationals that have shot and they say you know i can always shoot good when my target's on the bottom but as soon as i move it to the top it changes you know and i don't hold as good well if every day when you practice in your backyard if you're shooting at a block target two feet off the ground well 
When you step up to a target for the first time and you have to shoot it at five feet off the ground, it will feel different and you will be less stable. So try to get in the habit of being able to shoot at targets at multiple different heights. You know, if you're going to go out and shoot 100 arrows, um, and actually I'll just throw this out there. I was actually at Hoyt and uh, right after or right before I got to Hoyt, um, Joe Rogan had actually gone there. And I know Joe's. Uh, been really, really uh, passionate about archery in his podcast, which man, I, you know, any mainstream uh, person that does that, I'm super appreciative. Um, but, you know, uh, Mike Looper from Hoyt had told me, he's like, Joe shoots a hundred arrows every day. And that's awesome. That's a great thing to practice. But one thing that you're going to want to do is if you're practicing every day, a hundred arrows, change the actual elevation of that target for maybe every 20 arrows, shoot 20 low, shoot 20 up high, put 20 at a different height. You know, maybe if you can go shoot 20 where you're a little bit downhill or maybe shoot another 20 where you're shooting uphill, those are going to make huge differences in how you perform, not only um, when it comes to target archery, but more importantly, how you will perform as a hunter. You know, so many guys go elk hunting for the first time and they have to make a shot with, you know, a target or an elk standing 20 feet above them and it's super difficult for them to hold steady and do that however if you just practice you know like i said just split that practice up a little bit to where you change the elevation of your target for 20 arrows at this 20 arrows at that and you're going to find that that's going to make a big big difference and another thing you can do too you know again this is no different than just getting stale practice like in a weight room for example you know, if every day you go in and you're not shocking that muscle by maybe changing your routine a little bit, then you just really start to get complacent. And like, you know, for example, if you walk in and every day, if you're doing chest, you do flat bench first, then you do incline, then you do flies. It just becomes this routine and you're always going to be doing the heaviest weight at bench, then the less weight at at incline and and even less at flies. You got to flip that around. So, you know, if you're practicing, Don't always start practice just at 20 yards. You know, sometimes you need to start at 100 and shoot and then come all the way up to 20 by the end of your routine. And if you're shooting 20 arrows at 20 yards at the end of your routine, put the smallest of targets on there and really try to knuckle down and see how well you can perform on those smaller targets at the end of your training cycle. It's small little things like that that are going to make a huge, huge difference. Uh, Next question here is from Southie SE Archery. Um, He's asking me about Organization of Professional Archers. That's a new tournament that uh, Levi is kicking off. It looks pretty cool. Um, I haven't personally been invited. It looks like a really good format, and it's something that we've – that's something that we've – wanted to do all the way back to where when I was in the APA, the Association of Professional Archers, we always talked about having tournaments with 100% payback where the paybacks were, you know, the actual uh, money up front was higher and the payouts would be bigger. And that's no different than what would happen um, in the PGA or something. You know, you pay way more to get in, but you have 100% payback in the pro class. And obviously your purse is higher, which means you're more likely to get media attention. So 
uh, hats off to Levi for, you know, kicking that in, in gear and, uh, certainly looked like a cool format. I liked it. It looked good. So, um, and then, so you're wanting also in-depth, uh, talk about 3d judging strategy, practice, uh, formula for judging field targets and advice on coaches, how to teach archery. Well, I just gave you some advice on coaches for teaching archery. Uh, the field topics I'm going to get into a later date. 3D judging, got to go back in the podcast to when I was with uh, either Jeff Hopkins or Dan McCarthy. We had some great talks on that. Um, you know, I guess when it comes to strategy, I'm going to kind of tie this in to um, another topic that I saw somewhere throughout these questions. Um, and it was more specific to, I'm brand new to starting competitive archery and what kind of advice do you give me? So I'm going to tie, um, Southeast archery's question here on strategy into that people that are really trying to springboard themselves in competitive archery for the first time. I'm going to give you some tips. So One thing that I think is really, really important, and this is something that I really tried to work on with my students, was that whenever you go to a tournament, you really need to be prepared for exactly what you're going to experience there, and you have to really do your best at trying to adapt your routine at that event to match what you're used to at home, because the more you change what you eat, when you eat, when you go to bed and how close you've ate to when you go to bed or how much you've ate during the middle of the day while you're at that tournament, all that stuff is going to make a huge impact on performance. You know, I'm a huge believer now, and if I would have known this during the first five years of my competitive career, I would have been twice as good as what I was because, you know, I remember nights where I could not get to sleep. I just sat there, my heart was pounding, and to be honest with you, I thought I was nervous. I thought I was just dealing with the fact that I had shot a good first day, I was in the top five, I was going to be on a on a top target, and I was, you know, I thought I had kind of was a, you know, a little bit worked up because of that fact. Whereas now that I've not put myself in that type of position, I know flat out that even if I'm at a training camp or even if I'm in a hunting camp, if I come in at night and I end up going and having a huge steak dinner and bull crapping with my friends and, you know, have some drinks and end up climbing in my bed at 11 or 12 at night, I sit there for hours trying to digest that food, trying to digest that alcohol and sit there with my, you know, my heart beating out my chest, my blood pressure goes up and I'm just really struggling to digest that food before I can have a good night rest. And that is exactly what was happening to me back then. I remember going to the tournaments, being with friends you know, having the shoot, practicing at the shoot way longer than what I should, you know, coming off the tournament field, then going to the practice butts, shooting till dark, then hooking up with someone over at the sponsor tents, going to an outback, trying to wait in line 45 minutes to an hour to get into an outback, and then, you know, thinking, well, this is kind of a vacation, so yeah, I'll eat that, I'll eat that, I might as well have the dessert, I'm out having a good time. And next thing you know, you know, I'm back at the hotel at 11 or 11.30 and I've got to, you know, get up and be getting warmed up for my practice by five or six in the morning. So 
I literally hindered my performance because I wasn't focused on doing my best at the event and trying everything I could in order to make myself at the event comparable to what I'm like when I go to a tournament. Now, this is something I can tell you right now. You look at a lot of the Asian cultures. You look at the Korean team that'll come to a World Cup or a Korean Olympic team. They'll bring their own cooks. They book their own floor of the hotel. You know, they really focus on keeping those athletes away from distractions. They try to keep keep the same types of foods in front of them. They try to keep the exact same routines to where those archers can perform the same each and every day. And if you can put that to use, I can tell you above all, that is going to help you perform the most consistently over the course of an entire weekend. So, well, I'm looking at my next question here, and it was from Hornshine23, and you were actually the guy. Best advice for first-time competition shooters. That's it right there. Try to make sure that you're literally in your daily practice, your daily routine. The one thing I'll add to that is don't overtrain at those events. I know that a lot of people go to those tournaments, and if you're serious about wanting to place high and win, I know for me, when I go to those events and I want to like shoot a pro-am or I want to just shoot on the practice butts and shoot with my buddies till dark, unless you're used to shooting three, four, five, six hours a day, all that's going to happen is you're going to end up being sore and fatigued by your second or third day at that tournament if you're doing that, and that's going to hinder your performance. You got to be able to keep yourself in check, try to stay within your normal daily amount of arrows, and also, again, try to really focus on keeping your sleep and your meals as consistent as possible with what you have at home. Um, next question here is going to be from Gabe D88, and you're asking um, how to save your shoulder while still shooting the draw weight that you want. So you said for the first time ever, my shoulder was sore after shooting the other day. Um, so one thing that I'll tell you in regards to shoulders, and you know, a big part of why mine eventually went out, I'm pretty sure, is because you know I had years of football. Uh, years of weightlifting and also you know when I worked at Matthews there was a lot of times where I was sitting there ripping 100 pound bows back you know when we were building uh, the safari bow in Africa you know I just walked through the bow building area and you know we'd have an order in there for a 100 pound uh, you know safari bow and there's only so many people in the shop that could even pull one. There's really about three of us. So, you know, a lot of times it'd be like, oh, here's a hundred pounder. And, you know, you just, well, I would just grab it and rip it back just to see if I could, you know, still do it. You know, every year I got a year older. But, you know, I think trying to shoot weights like that that are above what you're comfortable with, they're just going to promote wear and tear. And that's the reality of it. So, um, you really need to stick with the weight, and I've said this in the past, where you can lift your bow up to the target and pull your release hand back straight towards your face. You don't want to have to push and pull your bow. You don't want to have to lean back. You don't want to have to lift your bow arm above your head to pull it back. If you are, then you're simply just pulling too much weight, and you know there's going to be consequences for that. Um, shoot a weight that you can manage, but also what's really important is your actual 
fit and making sure that your bow is designed or the bow is set to where it fits you and your posture and allows you to have your front arm fairly straight, utilizing your bone structure. Um, there's, you know, I've got tons of articles or videos about T formation, proper formation, proper form. You got to hold that because the more you contour your body in order to fit your bow, the more you start putting pressure on joints and ligaments and the more you're going to fatigue, especially when you have higher weight. So make sure uh, you do everything you can to try to maintain your posture and again there's so much um there's been such a development in bows and efficiency and also such a development in arrows over the past several years that you know this this is the time where an archer should not feel weird about shooting you know 65 pounds or 60 pounds because you can pick an arrow to where you have really good efficiency without having to shoot huge amounts of weight because the reality is and I'm a big guy I'm 6'5 230 and I can tell you that you know if you're going to go out and shoot 80 pounds every day and you're going to shoot arrows every day it is going to catch up to you there's just no way around it that's the truth um next question here is going to be from L Shady 1 and he is talking about he's a left-handed shooter first off so uh, for any of us right-handers, we're going to have to flip this. So he's saying um, a high right tear versus a bullet hole through paper. Um, and he's ask, he's kind of asking about uh, knock tuning arrows and bear shaft tuning arrows. I'm going to take a breath here and take a little sip of something that will be refreshing to my throat. And then I'll be right back. Ah, okay. So to answer that question... You know, a real common tear for compound shooters is going to be a high left tear, which is pretty much exactly what you're going to experience as a left-handed archer. Um, it's been my experience that lately a lot of this has come to people that are trying to shoot a blade rest or, most importantly, if you're a hunter, if you're shooting a fallaway rest and if you're shooting an original fallaway rest that connects to the cable and it actually pulls the rest up while you come to full draw and then it goes down when you shoot those rests time and time again depending on the model and how they're set and especially how they fall onto the shelf they've been known to bounce back up so if you're experiencing that tear and it will not change no matter what you're doing if you move your knock point if you move your arrow rest change arrows whatever and you're keep and you keep getting that same tear, then I can most certainly tell you that you're getting bounce back on the rest. It's hitting the shelf, it's coming back up and touching the back of that arrow and causing that high tear. Um, if you're shooting a launcher style rest, that tear is super common with someone that's trying to shoot too stiff of a blade or shooting a blade that is on too steep of an angle. Uh, that is what I call springboarding, which is where when the arrow flexes, when you shoot, it bows up just like a rainbow. It's, you know, a paradox. So when that arrow bends into its paradox, uh, it'll flex that, that lizard tongue down. And if it's too stiff, it'll kick back up so high that the back end will actually catch it coming through and it'll just kick that back end up. It, you know, it's what I call springboarding. So, 
if you're getting that high tear with a slight kick, no matter what you do, then I can most certainly guarantee your rest is bouncing back up and hitting the back of that arrow. Otherwise, if a high tear, if you haven't tried different arrows, is going to be related to too weak of an arrow will tear high as well. Um, otherwise, you should also check to make sure that you're getting no contact on the inside cables on your bow. A lot of these bows have cables that bend in now, like cable rods that bend in or adjustable cable rods where you can move them really close. Or some people that are shooting really high-profile veins. Um, and remember, if you're shooting a short, high-profile vein and you're trying to shoot it with like your cock vein down, um, which is how we used to shoot through like an old style arrow rest, like a bow doodle or a TM hunter. We used to shoot cock vein down. If you're shooting that way um, with a follow-away rest, most of the time you're going to end up contacting that bottom vein on something and it's going to kick up. So you really want to shoot your cock vein either out at about nine o'clock or I personally shoot my cock vein at about 10 o'clock. Um, I don't shoot my cock vein straight up. I shoot it at about 10 o'clock. It gives me perfect clearance down the inside of my cables, and it gives me good clearance on any type of fallaway rest as well. Um, if I'm shooting a lizard tongue, I shoot my cock vein straight up at 12 o'clock. Um, so work on those things. I guarantee you one of those two things are going to help you. Um, let's see. <laughs> Frankenbow is... <coughs> asking me to talk about Mr. One Sock. Uh, no, I, well, I'm sure you want another story. Um, I'll have to save a story for some time when I've got a shooting companion with me on the podcast. Um, that's normally when things come, come up that I don't remember, but I appreciate you remembering that story. Um, I know I'll certainly never forget it. So the next question is from Word, Woodworking by John. Uh, which release is best to start out with, hinge, thumb, or traditional trigger? So <coughs> personally, I'm going to always say, you know, people get tired of it, I know, but uh, I really think the best release of all time when it comes to teaching Perfect form, perfect archery is going to be the Carter Evolution. I absolutely love that release. We're actually working on a new version right now. I'm going to be super, super happy to get out. Um, the bottom line is, if you know how to shoot it right, and if you do it the correct way, this is the most beneficial release there is to an archer. It just teaches you to commit to your shot and pull through and it quickly points out any variance that you have in your form. The inconsistency is not in the release. Sometimes people say, well, I'm pulling really hard. Sometimes it doesn't go off. The next time I barely pull and it goes off. It absolutely shows you that you have not quite mastered either the positioning of your front shoulder or you haven't mastered the art of preload and how much preloaded tension you can actually apply to your cams before you let off the, the safety and pull through your shot. These are all things that, you know, really separate good archers from great archers. And believe me, I really wish that I could, I could just work with every one of you. I really wish I could. Um, I don't have the, 
I don't have the capability to do that, but I know that every single person, and actually two of the archers that I dealt with um, in Switzerland, both were archers that were really wanting to shoot the Carter Evolution, but just didn't really understand all the things that were causing the variations in their shot. But as I worked for them, just for a matter of two or three days, it was unbelievable the difference. And, um, you know, you can see in some of the pictures that I've posted, the archers were just absolutely shooting fantastic. And, you know, that's a direct reflection of how that release can perform with any archer if they do it the right way. And I can tell you that my wife, my boy, every single family member, any close friend, anybody that I start out with archery, that's the first thing that I put in their hand. And um, if you stick with it, it will it will get you to perfection in archery faster than any other thing. And it's the least likely to develop into a negative habit down the line. Um, see, next question here is... Um, let's see. Next question is RJ Clockmakers asking another question. Everything about dry firing a bow and the from the mechanic standpoint. So uh, RJ Clockmaker uh, dry fired his bow. I think he had a knock failure um, or an insert failure, and it was a pretty bad catastrophe. So hey, um, best thing you can do is send that sucker in and let them go through it and get it fixed up for you. You know, if it ha hasn't happened to you yet, then it will happen if you don't get in the habit of checking your arrows each and every shot. And this was something that I actually worked on with my students. You know, one point has decided probably 85% of the major competitions uh, throughout time. And, you know, that one point always plays a part whether it's in an elimination round or whether it's in a semifinal or whether it's in a final i can guarantee you the fate of that tournament is there's always a one point variation somewhere throughout it that makes a huge difference in the results and if you don't inspect your arrows every single time you pull them out of a target then you're rolling the dice at having an arrow that's going to be inconsistent and end up costing you a point or worse yet i can tell you yourself and my good friend thomas from wisconsin you know he put an arrow right through his arm or through his hand and it's you know it totally changed how he shot for the rest of his life and it was because he literally uh you know let someone i think i don't know if he borrowed someone else's bow for one arrow or someone borrowed his but Either way, you know, someone had just handed him the bow and the arrows. He didn't inspect the arrow. The guy had just shot a group in the target, and he had done the same thing. He had shot the back of one of the arrows. He had split it. He didn't take the time to just look at the arrow before he loaded it, and as soon as he shot, that same thing happened, except the arrows went through his hand. And I can tell you, it's uh, I've had it happen. Uh, I pinned my hand to the back of my grip with an Easton X10, and it's a lesson learned you know you have to every single time you're shooting at that target and you're shooting at one spot with multiple arrows 
Or if you shoot and you think that you heard something hit kind of hard, or if someone else is shooting on your target and you're shooting one arrow at a time and you think that you can hear an arrow get whacked, you better be checking it. You know, actually look at the knock, squeeze a little bit, make sure it's not cracked, make sure that there's no visible cracks on the back of the arrow, spin the arrow down your finger. And, you know, if it's an all-carbon shaft, sometimes you want to just roll them down your leg. Make sure that you're not hearing the cracks. It's just um, an easy thing to do that makes a big, uh, a big, big difference. Uh, next question here is going to be <laughs> from the Brad of Fall Brads. So the Brad of All Brads. Okay, so this is the Brad, and he's wanting to know what my favorite band is. So... You know, I don't know. I'm pretty musically diverse. I like all kinds of music, and it really just depends on um, what I'm trying to accomplish at that particular point in time. Um, I guess I'm just going to say I really, well, I don't know. I think if I were to just pick one, gosh, that's a tough call. I think if I were to just pick one, it would probably be Metallica, but... I've got to definitely throw props into uh, my band that I hope gets back together one day uh, out from underneath from out in Seattle. You guys were awesome. Do most of the music for the TV show. Uh, Really, really like you guys. Um, Actually, several of them are in different bands now. And uh, one of them, Louie, was was playing um, at a at a sold out crowd by the Grammys for Grammy for the Grammy weekend and uh, was sporting some knock on gear. So I appreciate that. But uh, the Brad of all Brads, that's my answer, buddy. Hope that uh, inspires you to, to get some Metallica on tonight. So next question is going to be from Michael Parente. I, I guess. Um, yeah. Drinking at one o'clock. I like your style. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's wine, so it's you know it's good for you. You know, I saw another statistic saying that you should always have one glass a day. So this is kind of my time of day. Helps my digestion, so I like that. Um, let's see, Blam ninety seven. I guess that's you, Brandon. Uh, best way to tune a rest, um, man. I don't know. There's you know, when it comes to, you know, you talk about walk back tuning on here, you make reference to walk back tuning. I think, um, walk back tuning is a great method. Um, I think it's part of a process this year for the knocked and ready to rock segment for the television show. I'm actually going through arrows and the exact process that I go through for tuning my arrows to my bow setup. And this is something I've talked about in the past, something I guess I need to touch on again. I'm a firm believer in um, setting up a bow and tuning arrows. You know, when it comes to like tune, I kind of think of, you know, tuning is something that has a variation. You change how it bends, you change how it vibrates, right? And um, an arrow is like a guitar string. It the arrow needs to be tuned to match what's playing it. And, you know, you kind of, the guitar's built, the guitar's set up, and then you tune that string to match the guitar. And, you know, and that's why there's the ability to adjust the string. And that's exactly the case when it comes to, um, you know, when you set up a rest, I really... You know, I put a rest on a bow, I adjust it to the bottom where the bottom of my arrow is 
just about halfway through my burger buttonhole on most bows. Sometimes I run it a little bit lower. Um, and that's my starting point. I chain, you know, if my, if I'm kind of fighting my bow and it doesn't feel like it's aiming well, I might change my knock position and my rest position, move it up and down to see how that changes the aim of the bow. Um, but then for center shot, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in just kind of running that arrow straight down the pipe and, and see how it works there. Um, walk back tuning is an important step. Um, to really seeing how that arrow is matching and getting your center shot right. But, you know, I like to use paper as a starting point and as a reference. Um, what paper does for me is it just shows me, like we talked about earlier, if you've got a tear that's just happening the same all the time, then you know there's an issue other than anything that you can affect on the bow. And that's the importance of trying to get that really close bullet hole, or at least if you're moving your rest around, you see that your hole's changing through paper because now you're able to go outside and actually go through some of those tuning steps. Um, you know, I really, I really like to shoot up close, you know, like we talked about with my walk back. Um, I really like to sight in up close, shoot up close, then go back to a longer distance and without moving everything, seeing how my arrows are moving left and right, um, you know, and then adjust my rest accordingly. I've got later in the year on the show and then eventually on the Knock on Archery YouTube site, you're going to be able to uh, see a video on walk back tuning. So we'll be able to kind of go through that there. Um, getting a little bit low on time, so... I can maybe come back to this later, do something specific to it. Um, let's see here. Uh, Res Daddy 42. Um, all right. I like your shirt too and your picture. Thank you for that. Um, well, you're asking how do you mentally keep the competition level high while, while maintaining the fun of a tournament? Um, man, this is a really tough balance, and it's it's something that I that I really – personally struggle with um because i feel like i feel like i perform my best as a hunter when i'm able to really knuckle down and kind of have you know this like checkmate mentality which i've told you in the past um but what made it hard for me in competition was um you know, to be able to go out there with that same type of instinct and same type of drive, but also worry about not really offending someone that I consider a close friend in competition, which is kind of something that uh, is going to be inevitable. You know, a lot of the people that you shoot with are close friends and things like that. And, you know, for me, target archery really helped with that because, you know, anytime you have the ability to call a judge to score your arrows properly, um, it makes a big, big difference in eliminating those situations. You know, last year, I know in 3D, there was a super awkward situation where there was an arrow called one way and, you know, by the end of the tournament, people were wanting to change it and it affected the outcome of the tournament, etc. And, you know, one person saying they've got pictures of how it looked and whatever. And it's just like, you know what, if, if the archer, if one archer in the group has the ability to call over a professional judge, like you look at world archery, 
there's professional judges for world archery. You know, there's judges from different countries that are there and you literally call the judge over and they get down, they know the standards, they've taken the tests on how to judge an arrow, they get down with the magnifying glass and they make a call and the way the call is is how it is. And that makes a huge difference and it also really incorporates the importance of consistency in arrow call and I think that's something that the world of 3D archery is really, really missing right now and something that... You know, I know for me, I think if that came back, it would it would be really, really important. And then you look at tournaments like Reading, where you have, you know, 25 people on a target. Uh, you know, you just don't see it, uh, sloppy arrow calling in those types of situations. So for me, in those deals, I'm able to really focus and shoot a lot better just because I know I don't have to deal with that crap. Uh you know, the main thing is you got to go there. And if nothing else, if you know that you want to shoot with the eye of the tiger, you may just have to tell your groups right up front, Hey, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a dink about this, but, um, you know, I'm focused right now and I'm going to bear down and just stay in my game. And if you guys want to go out for a beer and a hot dog afterwards, that's cool. But, uh, right now I'm just going to kind of focus on beating some ass. So, um, I'll be over there on my stool if you need me. So, I don't know if that'll work for you. It's worked for me in the past. And, uh, you know, depending on your mentality, I think you've got two options there. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm at 44 minutes right now. And I can tell you that I'm getting ready to have Mrs. Sharon Dudley walk into the, to my little dojo here and say, we got to go. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and ask, answer one more question here and then I'll actually uh, try to kick in another podcast after I get back later. So uh, Ultra Elite Archery is asking about the effects of facial pressure and tricks uh, to minimize that. Well, there's really no tricks and I can tell you that right now when I was coaching in Switzerland, um, one of the major things that I changed on several archers was their facial pressure. This is huge. You know, what you need to do when you shoot a compound is really get in the habit of pulling that release hand back towards your face and more or less on the side of your face until that bow stops and then get in the habit of bringing your anchor over to the side of your jaw. You know, you don't want to, a lot of recurve shooters draw under the face to load that shoulder and then they come up and bring that anchor position under the jaw. And you don't want to get in the habit of that with a compound. You don't want to get in the habit of pulling under and then piling a bunch of facial tissue up on top of that arrow as you come to your anchor because we're anchoring with a release on the side of our face. We're not anchoring with our fingers turned the complete 180 degree different way with our index finger at the base of our jaw. Our index finger is at the bottom of our jaw where the rest of our fingers are going straight up towards our eye. So you don't want to pile that facial tissue on the string because you're drawn too low and then coming up and under. Really get in the habit of looking at your release hand when you raise your bow up, look at your release hand, draw that release hand straight back in line so that your index finger and your middle finger are being pulled directly in line with that jawbone. And as soon as it stops, 
bring it over to the side of your face and then just slightly turn your face to where the tip of your nose is on the bowstring. And if you do that, you'll also slightly feel the string at the corner of your mouth. You're not going to feel it pressed in. The thing is you have to get in the habit of drawing in line, stopping and coming over. If you're drawing directly into your face or under your face, you're going to pile that skin on there and you're going to end up having aeroflight issues without question. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up right there. And, um, you know, for all you out there who are listening, sent some awesome questions, which there are several awesome ones. The good news is I'm in town for quite a while here, so I'm like able to get some of this stuff banged out. And I'll uh, I'll see if some of my buddies are available to chat on the phone and uh, talk through some of this if I can get a guest. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate it very much, and knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com